to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Lauren Lake. And I'm Aaron Snyder. Today we have three special guests joining us for a Commander's Roundtable. With us today are Colonel Michael Classy, Executive Director of Civil Works from Headquarters, Lieutenant Colonel Rachel Hondred of Charleston District Commander, and Retired Colonel Sam Hawkins. Thank you for joining us here today. Yeah, it's great to be part of this. Thank you. So you've all served at different levels of the Army, and in some cases, different levels of the Corps. As you have advanced through your career, what has driven you to be your best and make the organization you're leading better? Colonel Clancy, would you like to start us off? Sure. Thank you, guys. So I, I have served uh, got about nine years in the Corps of Engineers. I've served at every rank from captain to colonel. Most recently, prior to this position, I was the New Orleans District Engineer. I've got years in New York District as well as Gulf Region Central District. Uh, for me, the Army has just been an interesting experience. It's been, frankly, fun and challenging, and it's always changing. And I think fundamentally, I like winning and building winning teams. That's what's kept me coming back and staying in the Army, that leadership opportunity. And in the core, you know, we solve some of the nation's hardest challenges, as Lauren said at the beginning. Some of the things we're doing are just phenomenal. And the more I got exposed to it throughout my career, the happier and, and more interested I was to progress and just take those challenges, take the people you have, both within the core as well as other stakeholders, contractors, local elected officials, et cetera, and build that coalition of the willing who are there to solve those problems and deliver those projects. Lieutenant Colonel Hundred, what's your perspective on this? It's funny because I, I think a lot of what Colonel Clancy just said really speaks to the specialness of the organization. I immediately thought about some of the you know greatest experiences in my career have actually been during my service within the Corps specifically. And, and being an engineer in the Army, as we can all attest to, uh, is actually never a dull moment on the troop side either. And so that speaks, that, that speaks a lot to just the level of um, experience and, and uh, opportunity that the Corps really provides. I think, you know, for me, some of my, at some of my lowest times in service were, I, I would say, you know, coming off of a deployment as an example and then getting the opportunity to serve through the Advanced Civil Schooling Initiative uh, with the USACE Utilization Tour. Um, I got the opportunity to work side-by-side side with uh, DA civilians on projects that matter, right, in a very different way, right? You're, you're not in this combat role, but you're in, a, you're in a role where what you do every day is making differences in the lives of people in their communities and being able to work side-by-side side with folks who, who get that, have that same level of passion that, that I have you know, in my service, in, in service to the nation as, as a service member, as a soldier, is just inspiring, right? Even though the mission is completely different, it's, in, it's incredibly inspiring. And then, you know, it, as in a lot of cases, there's this great opportunity, you know, if you're willing to just say yes, if you're, you know, when somebody comes knocking on the door and do you want to try this, uh, you know, and I can still remember um, as a young major in the, in the Seattle district, which it was early on in my time in the career, where my commander came to me and he was like, hey, you don't have to, but, but would you be interested in going out to Libby, Montana and uh, taking over to run our hydropower dam out there um, and, and fill this need we have? And, and for me, that was a key turning point in my career. I can look back to that point in time that really inspired me working with the people out there in the middle of Montana to realize this is, this is my passion. This is what I love doing. Um, and then really helped 
focus that trajectory, you know, to where I am today, where I'm serving in an organization, you know, here in the South Atlantic Division in the Charleston District, where we do, uh, we specially joke, we joke, or, or actually very seriously say we specialize in too hard. We do those hard things for the nation uh, that the nation has asked us to do, and so it's, it's truly inspiring. Great. Thank you so much for that example. That's a really wonderful experience. And turning to Colonel Calkins, now that you have been away from, from the Corps and Army for a couple of years, let's get your perspective on looking back at your career. What was the most surprising thing about working for a civilian organization? And did you have to adjust your leadership style um, working primarily with civilians? Yeah, hey, thanks for that question. And I did retire just about exactly uh, a year ago, November 1st of 2019. I would say what what inspired me to be my best with USACE was a commitment to service. Um, and I've, I've really brought that with me to my civilian career. I, I decided to stay with water, and I'm working for uh, the water utility in the city of uh, Highlands Ranch, Colorado, where my family and I decided to retire. But I think that commitment to service is something that, that all Army officers have ingrained in them from the beginning. And I think it uh, worked very well in the Corps of Engineers and is, is serving me well um, as a civilian now as well. But, but there's lots of different ways to serve. And, you know, we, we provided uh, service, a lot of us uh, who, were, who became district commanders over, over 20 plus years um, as Army officers in lots of different ways. Some of it was defending the nation, some of it was deploying, as Rachel just talked about, uh, serving with combat units. But when you get to the core, I think that idea of service is just as strong. And I think really one of the, the big surprises that I had when I first started working with uh, the civilian workforce in the St. Paul District was that they shared that commitment. You're not providing defense to the nation necessarily, but you are providing invaluable services to the people, sometimes uh, millions of people that depend on what the Corps does every day. I would say um, on a more mundane level, a surprising thing was how uh, how tough it is for the uh, civilians or how different it is to, you know, account for their time and bill for their hours and that everything's uh, got to be on the clock so you meet those direct charge rates, and that's an important part of it. But I think really... That's all always secondary to the the sense of being able to provide something that the Corps is uniquely positioned to provide for this nation. And, uh, you know, I go back to the Corps' mission statement. I'll probably get this a little bit wrong, but it's to improve the nation's security, to reduce the risk from disaster, and to um, energize the economy. And those are three things that I used as a commander, and I think those are things you can sink your teeth into as you try to keep yourself fired up about what the Corps does and to get the get the workforce uh, engaged in doing the best job that they possibly can. Great. Thank you, sir. Any other uh, thoughts on that, particularly on your experience working with civilians, Colonel Clancy or Colonel Hundred? So, yeah, Colonel Clancy here, I'll go and take a shot at this. So, I, uh, I take a twist on that question. I don't think the Corps is a civilian organization. The Corps is a military organization. We're the Army. I used to enjoy as both the deputy commander in New York and the district commander in New Orleans swearing in new employees. And I, I, you know, so many of our new hires had no idea they were joining the Army. They applied for whatever position they applied for. They thought they were getting a job with the federal government. I remind them, you just joined the United States Army. You just took the same oath for other civilians and very similar to the military oath. And that's what's so cool about the Corps is that it's uh, a predominantly civilian organization, 99% civilians, but, and yep, some of them are prior service or retired military. The vast majority have no uniform service, and yet they serve 
as Sam and Rachel just talked about, with the same level of dedication and commitment that our uniformed service members also are we're known for, renowned for, thank you for your service, commercials, patriotism, but our civil servants have that same drive, and that's what makes this organization unique, I think, in both the Department of Defense, it's a heavily civilian organization, not all uniformed, and other federal agencies. Uh, we've got this military esprit de corps and military can-do attitude that just keeps bringing the hardest challenges back to the core to solve. Yeah, this, this is uh, Colonel Hondert. I, I think I would echo what Colonel Clancy just said, um, particularly when it comes to, you know, just the uniqueness of us amongst our sister uh, federal partners and agencies. Uh, there's a reason that we, you know, much like in the regular Army, the engineers are often seen as the go-to to solve hard problems. I think the Army Corps of Engineers is, you know, we are the nation's engineer. We are seen by many of our sister services as, you know, the organization that if they can't figure it out, the Corps can. So let's let's bring the Corps on either to partner with us or, you know, maybe they can solve the problem for us. And I think, you know, and that's in an organization that is, while commanded in, you know, commanded by military officers, that continuity and that expertise is the Department of the Army civilians who I, I think you know, they balance that fine line between the need to ensure they have compliance and and they've done all of, you know, they've crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's, but also that need to meet the mission and serve the nation. And, and sometimes that requires, you know, taking some risk. And, you know, even the fact that we're, we're talking about revolutionizing today and how do we make our organization better, that those conversations don't always happen in uh, some of our sister agencies the way they do with the core. Our willingness to sit down and take hard looks at ourselves and then roll up our sleeves and try to really make ourselves better to, because ultimately it is about serving our nation, serving our Army and the Department of Defense. And so, yeah, I, what they said. <laughs> Thanks. So, so you've all talked a little bit about inspiration and mentioned our partners and trust. And, and I was kind of curious to, to dive into that a little bit more. Um, Colonel Classy, really, you know, how have you worked to earn the trust of our partners and what are some of the best practices that you, you learned in maintaining those partnerships? So I talked to you, my first question about teamwork, and it's been fun for me as a leader from being a platoon leader with 30 soldiers on up to district commander of over 1,000 employees building teams. But in civil works in particular, it's all about partnerships. We do nothing on our own, nothing in a vacuum. And we've got our formal partners who've signed the project partnership agreement and are committing non-federal funds. And then we have a whole host of other partners from, from governors, elected officials, the congressional delegation, down to private citizens. You've got to include all of them because that they all have some skin in the game, some vested interest. And uh, that's what makes civil works both interesting and incredibly challenging at times is to try to build those coalitions. For me in New Orleans, you know, I, don't have to, I won't go over the history. Everyone knows the challenges of uh, Hurricane Katrina and, and the aftermath of that. It is a challenging environment, no doubt. Uh, I never shied away from that. I was always interested in and wanted to engage with our toughest critics. One, to hear what they had to say. Maybe we could learn something. Maybe we could do better. And two, to show them that the core is on their side and we are trying to solve problems and we do care and we're not this uncaring, massive federal bureaucracy that doesn't do the right thing. 
So I, I was always out and about, uh, you know, the district commander in particular, you are, I, I was called a Mr. Outside, you know, spend more time outside the district than you do spend in the district meeting with those people, going to where the friction is, you know, a common thing with on the, the military battlefield is the commander goes where the, the point of friction is. Same thing with, with civil works and in the core district. Uh, you got to go where the friction is. you got to go engage those, those harder problems, the tougher critics. Because as a district engineer, you bring the full force of the district to bear. That, you know, one guy brings the full combined arms team from project management, construction, engineering, contracting, real estate, et cetera. You bring it all together. And when you and DPM go, you can solve those hard problems, but you got to know what they are and you got to be out there engaging with partnerships. Colonel Calkins, you you worked on a few projects that are a little bit controversial, you know, including you know challenges with state agencies um, and working closely with our partners. What what advice would you have um, in trying to overcome some of those obstacles and, and keep the communications open? Yeah, I think um, everything that uh, Colonel Clancy just said was was spot on. But to elaborate on that a little bit, the partnerships uh, begin with trust, and so part of that is admitting that uh, that no one, if you're a brand new uh, district commander, maybe that's especially you, but nobody has all the answers. And so, as, as Mike just said, you do have tons of resources to bring to bear, and you have tons of expertise to bring to bear on difficult problems. But that doesn't mean you have all the answers. So you have to reach out um, both to the people that support your projects and get their input and their expertise, uh, but then also, and maybe more importantly, to the people who don't support your project. So, um, Aaron, as, as you said, and as you were, uh, were, were part of this process as well, um, up in St. Paul, especially with our uh, Fargo-Moorhead projects, um, we really did have a lot of opposition. And we, myself and uh, leaders on that project, went out of our way to engage with, with state agencies and with uh, groups of people who opposed the project. We did it in coordination with uh, the project sponsors, um, but it took a lot of time. It wasn't always easy, but it was necessary. And uh, something that's interesting from the perspective of, of maybe a, a new commander to a district is it takes lots of time. So I worked on it for uh, that Fargo project, just to use an example, for three years. Dan Kaprowski worked on it for three years before me, and Carl Jansen is working on it now. And I just saw that yesterday there were press releases about uh, – an agreement between the sponsors and some project uh, opponents to drop all the lawsuits in the case. And so that had been something that had been going on for years, outlasted uh, at least two district commanders. So you have to be in it for the long haul. And I think maybe the the last thing I'll include there is, is Mike mentioned this as well, but you've got to have your DPM involved and not just the DPM, but uh, your planners, your PMs and others, because they're the ones who are going to be there through the completion of the project, whereas the commander who is that face of the organization and who is the guy or, uh, or girl who's, or gal who's got to be um, out engaging, but you're not going to be there forever, so you've got to include people, and it can't be, can't be just about you. Thank you. Yeah, you both talked a lot about trust and building trust with our partners just now. And and so, Lieutenant Colonel Hundred, trust and accountability really do go hand in hand. How would you recommend that we go about implementing ways to make trust and accountability more of a priority and part of the culture within our organization? So I think, I guess in my experience, what I have seen in the various organizations I've worked in is that trust and accountability is integral to what we do. 
especially as commanders who come into organizations, as was previously mentioned, and we know nothing about our organization, and in many cases, we can't even spell USACE, let alone understand the nuances and the intricacies. And so immediately, we have to start out by trusting our people and asking questions that then not only inspire the confidence of the others. I mean, it's important to think about even how you phrase a question, right? Because you want to build from this from day one this confidence in your team. And But at the same time, you're trying to learn fast enough that you can then turn around and, and support by, you know, facilitating decisions, helping move things along as needed, uh, and then ultimately uh, being externally focused to allow the folks that are working working on the ground, getting the stuff done, the, the time and space to do so. Um, I think internally, when we talk about trust and accountability, number one, acknowledging you, you, you don't know everything. I think we talked about that here just a little bit ago. But setting clear expectations about and, and being willing to be transparent about who you are, um, what your priorities are uh, that should be shaped by very open dialogue with your senior leaders, or particularly your DPM and your, you know, your senior division chiefs to, to really understand they are the continuity. They know what they have been working on, in some cases for many, many years, where those pitfalls are. Uh, and so, you know, you have those conversations with them. I think, you know, Another piece to trust and accountability is is empowerment and delegation, right? As leaders, we have to know what our limitations are and and respect those and then communicate those outwardly so that when you're interacting um, with your teams, they understand how to best leverage your capability um, and trust that you have that, that, that they have your support. Uh, as a recent example for us, we've been working on a sticky uh, regulatory permit action here in South Carolina that has been ongoing for many, many years, as, as these things often do. And, uh, you know, internally, we, we didn't have a strong program for, for our, um, our 408 program specifically. Uh, and so for what the team really needed from me was that, that strong focus and district prioritization prioritization, right, that emphasis that this matters, um, ultimately took a regulatory permitting action and made it my number three district priority. What that very rapidly sent across the entire district was this effort matters to us as an organization, whether it's for reputational risk or whatever. So it's this ability to start holding some things accountable, but also then holding our resource out, you know, providers accountable too to say, hey, this is something we've got to support and keep moving. And so you can use your various governance structures to, to affect that. And, and, and ultimately what it then builds is now your, your, your staff members know that, that you trust them and that you, you are in support because you've, you've identified clearly what your priorities are. And so I think that's a way um, to really, really get at building that trust, building some accountability into your organization. All right. Thank you. So, you know, that's a really good point. And that ties in very closely to the, the core and, and leadership recently as part of the revolutionized civil rights effort identified five strategic areas of improvement. One of those is to build a trusting organization. And there's the, the other ones are also focus areas where, you know, we really need to improve as an agency and really asking leadership at all levels to focus on those. Colonel Clancy, you know, as the core 
rolls out these strategic areas of improvement, what should leaders at all levels be doing to drive that change that we need? So I think the whole revolution idea is about you know, harnessing all of the energy we have in the core at every level. The core, you know, at its worst, can be a very hierarchical organization where everything has to get approved up the chain and uh, go to headquarters or wherever. And really, I think that's what the revolution is about, is rethink, particularly, again, in civil works, is trying to formally delegate as many authorities down, which in that over the last few years being a big initiative, but also just uh, it's not just about formal authorities, it's about good ideas. And everybody at every level can have and should have good ideas and should be empowered to put those good ideas into place. I've you know, got the chiefs now talking about the what's on your list initiative, which is basically what, what are you doing to share what headquarters is doing to revolutionize, but what are you doing at the district or even below the district level to do things new, to challenge assumptions. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean it's the smartest or best way to do whatever that process is. Uh, I think everybody has a role to play, and that flattening organizations and then flattening decision-making that uh, got to get into a modern mode of quicker decision-making and flatter communications. So for us, one of the things that we did in our senior leader offsite when I first took command, which as, as you know, for an 05, that means we only get two years, right? Uh, and we sat down in our senior leader offsite and did, you know, figured out, okay, we're not in the campaign plan anymore, but what are we doing to revolutionize? And so we, we kind of built these three buckets for our organization. One of our action items was highlighted specifically to empower and delegate down to the lowest levels, right? And that was actually an initiative for us. And so, and it was mixed in with about nine other things that we as a district decided we wanted to achieve in the next one to two years. Recently, um, what one of the things I do as a commander is I sit down with inbound and outbound personnel, and I do, um, for outbound personnel, and specifically I do exit interviews. And it's just a conversation to just just be able to talk about what's on their mind. And, and why I mention this is because in a recent exit interview with an employee who had decided that um, he wanted to pursue some other things, as we were talking, you know, one of the, the things I asked him, you know, well, what was kind of a highlight in your recent experience? And it was, in, and this is a GS, um, I think he was a GS11 or GS12, fairly, fairly removed from me, doesn't hear a lot of my messaging, doesn't sit in most of my senior leader meetings. And he says, you know, ma'am, about a year ago, I understood that uh, there, was, there was this effort to empower us and delegate some responsibilities down to me to be able to, do, to sign some things and do things more efficiently. And I just had this moment of true joy. Because in nowhere in there did he use fancy words like deliver the program, strengthen the foundation, you know, revolutionize. He didn't use any of that. But in his own words, he gave back to me feedback that was a confirmation that the initiative at the most senior level of our organization, we had outlined something we wanted to do to help our people do things better and faster. He was able to articulate that that's exactly what happened. And so it is so awesome to see that play out, as Colonel Clancy mentioned, you know, that you're getting things down to every level where they're at, you know, that, that feedback loop up, down, and left, and right is occurring. And so that's just a small anecdotal example in an organization. And looking at driving change, an example with um, Colonel Hawkins, and you drive change in the innovative financing and delivery aspect and, and Fargo being a P3 project. 
you know, what does it take to support that level of change as a, a commander? Yeah, I'd, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, tying into what Rachel was just talking about with empowering employees and making sure they feel like they have some skin in the game. I mean, you have to have high expectations of the employees as well. So I'll, I'll get to the, the Fargo case in a second here, but it doesn't have to be big things because across the core there's probably, what, a, a thousand, you know, one of, one of every ten people or something, who knows, is working on a P, P3 or a WIFIA project, but everybody's working on smaller projects. So, you know, one example was CAP. I mean, there was just – I was just looking at some updates on the St. Paul webpage. I haven't been there for a year, but some of those things are still going on. But a, a beneficial use of a dredge material project that the, the team there – you know, this is a – whatever it is, a $10 million project. It's, it's not huge. It's important. But the team there was committed to finding a different way to, to get this project, which, uh, which we had been trying to do. It was, it's the head of Lake Pepin, I think, but we've been trying to do for years, and nobody could figure out how to do it. And this new initiative came in, and some relatively younger uh, members of the, of the team saw that that was an opportunity, and they jumped on it. So, you know, again, back to Rachel's point, if you're empowering people, you have high expectations, you're communicating well, it doesn't have to be the, the billion-dollar project that's revolutionizing the way the Corps does business. Sometimes it can be the $10 million project. But, yeah, specifically on that the public-private partnership, I mean, really it's just looking for new ways to do things, being open to new ideas. There was a different project that we worked on where we got, got in a little bit of hot water with, uh, with some PR, and maybe we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But General Kaiser, the MVD commander at the time, said, uh, hey, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. And I'd take that a step further, further and almost say just because the regs say you should do it doesn't mean you have to do it. Now, that's not uh, you know, telling people that they should go out and break the rules, but it's saying, hey, if you see a rule or a regulation or something in the bureaucracy that's keeping you from doing the smart thing, the right thing for your, your constituents in your district, that you should ask those questions. And instead of just accepting that, ah, we never did this before, we're not going to do it now, that when everybody from the chief on down is telling you to revolutionize, you are empowered to ask those tough questions. So, you know, why are we doing it this way? Why have we done it this way? There's probably some better ways to do it. And then maybe just to, to close out, uh, back to your question, uh, Aaron, about uh, public-private partnership. you got to be humble, and you got to admit that you can't do it yourself. So we go back to the partnership idea. you got to enlist all the help that you can, whether it's, senators and governors or state agencies or leadership at the core, but you got to get them on board. You've got to get them involved, and you have to really bring the whole team in. It takes the team to revolutionize. I would say just to riff off what Sam just said, you know, I've also had the experience of being a customer of the core, and that's, you know, we've heard it, and then if you've ever been a customer of the core, you've lived it yourself, where uh, you know, on the negative side, the core can be very rule-bound, hierarchical, Everything Colin Hawkins just said, just because the regs say to do something doesn't mean that's necessarily the best idea. So again, at PDC at all levels, feel free to challenge assumptions and, and push it up the chain. I think certainly senior leaders communicated from General Seminite and now General Spellman that, that there is an appetite for granting waivers, making exceptions, risk-informed decision-making waivers. Got to do what's best for a specific project and specific set of circumstances and partners by just blindly following our rules and regs, which may be appropriate, but may not be, you know, customized to that specific unique civil work circumstance. 
Yes, very true. And, you know, a lot of this takes leadership. And, and as leaders, we wanted to, to turn to your leadership philosophy. You know, Lieutenant Colonel Hundred, you talked about your excitement about reaching your staff on trying to change the organization. You know, what should leaders be doing to inspire their staff? And how do we inspire that next generation of, of staff as, and leaders throughout the Corps? You know that's that's a great question, um, and I think if it was if there was an easy or a single answer to that question, we many of us would uh, would have the market cornered on that. But you know, I look at my my short experience by comparison to my colleagues here, right? Because you know I'm I'm newer to this, but I'm thrilled to be part of a group of people who have been privileged enough to serve uh, in senior leadership positions in the core, and you know I think. There's something to be said about, I think Sam said it earlier, about setting high expectations and empowering people. And, and then putting, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Giving them then the opportunity to do something about it. And so, you know, I, I think about that from a leader development perspective, right? And I, I've done a lot of sessions where I sit down in, in LDP sessions, do some kickoff comments, and you know, I oftentimes will lead off with talking about the, the distinction between a military leader's career and a Department of the Army civilian leadership journey, right? In the Army, our leadership career is, is somewhat prescriptive, and we go through a series of, of development courses at very specific points in our career. Ready or not, here you come. Uh, and on the, on the DA civilian side, that journey is, is much more self-initiated as to when that occurs and what are their personal goals and, and, and talents and where do they want to do some things and when does it best work. And so how do we as leaders then look at that and then provide, think ahead of time to then provide those opportunities at the best time for our people? And so it, it takes us sitting down to think about it. So I have spent significant amount of my time in command with my DPM and my senior leaders having conversations about specific people and about how do we create opportunities for them. And, and you know, our, our, uh, our Chara folks and various other people will, will oftentimes, you know, say, okay, there should be some caution in there. Roger, we understand that. But at the same time, how do we think about when we can create opportunities. And, and oh, by the way, where do we accept some risk? Because if I take a senior, as an example, a senior branch chief, and I want to develop them in an area, and I move them somewhere, that's going to create a gap, a growth gap, in a very critical position like a civil works branch chief, right? Now I'm going to spend time not only developing this person over in this position, but now I also have another position that I've got a developmental opportunity and so on and so forth. And, you know, in the core, we're very good at, at uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul and moving people around through developmental assignments. But doing this internal at the district level requires personal investment and leader risk, right? It, but I think what it also points back to a stance point, which is I'm demonstrating that I'm willing to take a risk on you. I'm willing to trust that you're going to do the best you can and learn all you can in that developmental assignment, whether that's for our organization internally or somewhere else. And, and that, that whole concept, I think, is so incredibly valuable to who we are as, you know, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers at the district, division, and enterprise level. Great. Thank you. That's some- Great points, and I'm really glad that you take that time to, to help improve your staff. Colonel Clancy, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? 
Sure, I'll just say it's about teamwork, particularly for, for district commanders, especially new district commanders, right? For your, and especially for new district commanders who never served in the Corps before. It's you are being watched, and all the civilians want to know, is this new colonel on our team? Uh, for me, the most important leadership value is selfless service. So we've all probably seen selfish leaders who are there for their own personal gain, aggrandizement, ego, stroking, whatever, and that can be incredibly damaging. Proving to your folks that you are on the team, you're going to do everything you can within your power to make the team better, and the team wants to win. I'll bring it back to winning. Uh, winning is doing stuff, delivering the program, getting a project done. Civil works is incredibly hard, and I used to joke in New Orleans about doing trick shots, bounce an idea off three different orders and four different exceptions to policy, and you finally get it in the hoop. You know, that, that Fargo-Moorhead example that Sam mentioned, it took years in the making, but to get that, it, the challenge makes it so that much rewarding that it makes it worth it at the end, all that effort. And, as you know, I think that's if our folks see that we have a winning organization that really, truly values teamwork and really, truly values employee input from every level, then that'll keep the workforce motivated, keep people interested in coming back. Thank you, sir. Colonel Calkins, anything you wanted to add as well? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, those were great answers from Rachel and Mike. They they said a lot of it. Just a, just a couple other quick thoughts is that for an Army officer, kind of as, as Mike was just saying, if you haven't been in the Corps before, sort of the idea of leadership and uh, moving on to the next position is sort of sort of comes natural. It's, it's sort of pounded into you from the beginning, but that's not necessarily true for the civilian workforce. So some people have already decided they want to move up. Some people um, have no idea or maybe even no inclination to move up, but but you got to scout those people out and, and encourage them and plant the seed for them. One concept that, that probably isn't in uh, most Army organizations but is definitely important in the Corps is succession planning. And if you start talking to every section chief and branch chief and division chief about, hey, who's going to take over when you're gone, You know, whether it's a year or 10 years from now, that gets everybody thinking about, oh, yeah, that's a great question. I wonder, you know, I wonder who the next section chief is going to be. And you start grooming those people and giving them opportunities. And I would say probably the earlier, the better. One one other note in, in the St. Paul district, when I was there, and I'm sure it's still going on, there was a great leadership development program. And again, you know, sometimes we had uh, people who were chomping at the bit to get involved with that. Sometimes we had to prod them a little bit to, to volunteer and put the time in. But if, if you spend the time with people, if you let let them know that you see something in them that 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 makes you think they're going to be a future leader in the organization, uh, then they'll get inspired and they'll 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 take the ball and run with it most of the time. Thanks. You know, speaking of leadership, one one key aspect of leadership is overcoming adversity, and obviously taking care of people is really important. Obviously, with COVID and the civil unrest that we've seen across the country, there's a lot of challenges with that. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hundred, what would your advice be to other leaders in dealing with these challenges, and and how did you take care of your staff? This is this has actually been something that I did not plan for. In fact, I don't think any of us planned for 2020 uh, and how it has turned out. But uh, you know, we here in Charleston, um, unfortunately, have had some some very personal impacts as a result of of the tragic events over the summer that led to civil unrest. And uh, shortly after George Floyd's passing and that became 
large, widespread across the nation, uh, the city of Charleston, there was rioting in the streets. Uh, we are located in downtown Charleston, just on the outskirts of, of where much of that, that civil unrest occurred, to include many protest marches that were organized to walk uh, not far from our building. And, and so when you layer that on something that was already a, uh, a different working environment with COVID, it became very apparent quickly that we needed to, that I personally needed to put a little bit of skin in this game and, and express some transparency and vulnerability. Immediately, you know, you do some of the things right away to protect your people, right? We went into a um, office shutdown mode and said, you know, folks, don't come to the office. You know, here's where the protests are. You know, some of those admin type things where you're just trying to protect your force. However, I think what was the bigger thing was acknowledging that this impacts people personally. And each of us has some feeling. Um, and oftentimes in bureaucratic organizations or in government organizations, we don't create the space to allow people to have feelings about things, right? And so, and, and so what, I, what the team and I came up with was um, really to go out a little bit on a ledge and spend some time talking to the workforce and acknowledging, hey, this is hard. B, we all, to include me as the most senior leader, leader in the organization, I'm struggling with this personally. And be a little bit vulnerable and, and human, right? I, you know, oftentimes it's easy for leaders to hide behind the green uniform and, you know, be strong. And But what your team might need at times is really that, that time with them where you acknowledge your humanity. And so I spent, we as leaders, we spent some time, we, we actually sent out a, a, an email that, believe it or not, we had a couple folks in our, in our leadership organization that were uncomfortable with it because they felt like it was a little too open and honest. But I was willing to do that. I was willing to open myself up to the team and say, I'm one of you. You're one of me. And together, back to that teamwork issue, we can get through this together. And we can create space where it's okay to feel anger or hurt or frustration or, you know, shock there, you know, the, after the riots occurred here in Charleston, uh, many of our folks went right downtown the next day and, and helped the shop owners whose lives were further destroyed by, by some senseless violence and things. And so, you know, it, and again, it was about creating that space for people to, do, to feel okay to be in that space. And I, um, I'm very thankful that our folks you know, from a um, from a uh, an injury perspective, no one was hurt through this, but they've been allowed to have those conversations with each other. And now, as we've moved forward through Project Inclusion, which is the the you know the the Army's new effort to really create that space, we feel like for us we're advancing further, and we're having you know now it's let's have some of that deeper dialogue and really think through how do we embrace and and create that space for inclusion. Yeah, that, that's really great insight and input, and, and I really appreciate that as, you know, living in St. Paul, riots were really close to my home. Um, we, we were definitely scared. Uh, there were so many emotions that everybody had during this time and adding COVID on top of it. For leadership to step up and listen to people and have those conversations is tremendously important. So I want to thank you for, for taking those steps with your staff and, and really challenge all of our leadership across the organization to, to do the same. But with that, you know, we're, we're coming to the close here. I uh, want to thank you all for, for joining us. But you know, before we go, I would want to um, let you each have one chance for some final remarks. So, Colonel Clancy, is there anything you would like to add? 
No, thank you guys for doing this. I really appreciate it. Look forward to uh, you know seeing the final product here, as well as many more future podcasts to come. I just wish all those who listen to this, particularly district engineers and especially new district engineers, the best of luck. And uh, my phone and email are always open. Anybody has uh, anything you want to talk about, pick my brain on, or offer suggestions here in the Civil Works front office, I am always available. Thank you. Uh, Colonel Tappins. Yeah, hey, I think you guys have inspired me. I want to get back in the game, so I'm going to call uh, Colonel Clancy and see if there's any chance of me getting uh, recalled from retirement so I can uh, get back to the Corps and start doing some good work there again. Kidding aside, uh, yeah, for for the new commanders, especially cherish the two or three years that you'll have in command. Uh, there's, There's really nothing like it, both in terms of the personal satisfaction that you'll get out of, you know, really working with great people and working on critical missions, but also just being part of a, such a great team that is uh, committed to doing things better, is already doing things great, and really has a, a bright future. Each district and uh, the entire Corps serving on behalf of this nation. And Colonel Hundred? Yeah, I think, you know, this just having this little conversation here reminds me about, you know, about really why it is that I love what I do every day. You know, for our 05 district commanders out there, we only get two years. And as I've rounded the corner into my final year in command, I every single day am squeezing everything out of this experience because every day there's a new challenge, a new experience, something new to learn, something new to be amazed at that we truly are a world-class organization. When we say that, it is backed up by the facts across this enterprise, you know, whether it's in your district internally or as you are interacting with your sister districts and you discover something else amazing that somebody else is doing to, to really serve this nation. You know, to the two-year commanders, I would say you get, you get a shorter time period, enjoy it, cherish every single day. Your team will not fail you. Every day you will be so impressed by what, um, what, what one of your team members um, is doing in service to the nation. And so I would say, ask the questions, be ready to learn because you're going to learn a lot. And it's, it truly is a privilege to serve uh, in the Corps of Engineers. And, uh, and, uh, and I am so excited to just be able to serve and, and share a little bit of time with all of the folks out there who are, who are coming on board in the future. Great. Thank you all so much for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We really do appreciate your thoughts and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw-infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. Thank you.